is going to preach. Let's say this is the first time ever, right? <coughs> okay, so that's exciting. Um, okay, so I feel immensely excited about this, not because necessarily Alice is about to smash this, but just because I know what a step of courage and faith this is for Abby to do this. So um, you may not know Abby, but this is a step of courage. And we want to celebrate that, right? Because we all need to do this in our lives. So that's what's exciting me about this moment. You can tank. That's absolutely fine. There's no way to tank. But we're just excited that you're stepping out of things. Right? So let's pray for Abby. If you want to stretch out hand, that's your vibe. Then please do. But um, Lord, we pray for Abby. We fill her up now. Set her free. You love this woman of us so much. You delighted her so much. You've been speaking to her, you've been shaping her, you've been with her her whole life. And so I pray that just this next 15 minutes or so, whatever it is, I just pray it would be an overflow of all that you've taught her, mature in her life. So keep her uh, words flowing and her mind present and calm her nerves, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Hello. So, Um, for the message. 
message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you of noble, of noble birth. But God chose the foolish, the foolish, <laughs> the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in, Je uh, in Christ Jesus, who has, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God 
It's way bigger than someone or something which requires us to have it all together all the time. The goodness of God today is that the pressure is off. There's no requirement we have to meet. There's no minimum bar of moral goodness that we have to achieve before we can encounter him. An American theologian called Dane Ormond, who's written the most beautiful book about the character of Jesus called A Gentle and Lowly. And in that book, he writes this, the minimum bar to be unfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourselves up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden yourselves or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. And I love that. You don't need to unburden yourself or collect yourself before. It's your very burden which qualifies you to come. But I know as much as everyone else, if not more probably, that this can be really hard. For some reason it feels like it's our default often to assume that we're not good enough or disqualify ourselves. But I take a little bit of comfort from the fact that the Bible is also full of characters um, who try and run and hide from God because of something that they've done. For example, there's Moses who flees to the desert after killing someone. He runs into the wilderness and then God comes and meets him in the wilderness, in the burning bush. It's after that point, after that encounter with God, that Moses has in his place of hiding, that God uses him ultimately to lead the people of God out of slavery and into the promised land. His past, his flaws, his failures didn't stop God from using him. But this isn't always the easiest or the most comfortable thing for us to do, to let the goodness of God in and to accept the truth that he longs for us, to bring our true selves to him. I think lots of us know this truth in our heads. We can so easily quote that verse in Corinthians, like, this power is no person, I think I've heard that before, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But sometimes I think the way we deal with it, in reality, it's probably a little bit different. I know for myself, it definitely is, hopefully, not for Sometimes I feel like it's in like in a job interview where that dreaded question gets asked, what is your biggest weakness? And it's a bit of a joke, I know, that um, you kind of go into it and you say, oh, my biggest weakness, oh gosh, I think it's that I just love working too much. I will, I'll just get here first thing in the morning, I will leave last at night, I won't have a lunch break, I'm just gonna work really hard, it's such a flaw of mine, I'm really thinking about that. Um, and it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? But you say it secretly knowing that it's a weakness that they probably would want to hear, um, and it's an acceptable weakness, even if it's not true. I know I've definitely said that in interviews, and it's definitely not true. Sorry. <laughs> um, and of course, in settings like that, it's not right or appropriate to start actually unraveling all your problems and um, all your frailties and insecurities. Um, but I sometimes think that we, or I definitely do, engage with God in a similar way. I think sometimes it's so easy for me to present a false or shadow self um, to God because maybe he's, we fear sometimes being rejected or fear there's something just wrong with us or maybe it just feels too scary to even begin to engage with. But the problem with that is that when we project a false self, we then believe that it's that image we've created that's loved and accepted rather than who we really are. But that can often create a sense of insecurity within us because we know we're not being honest. Letting go of the facade and letting go of hiding who we really are can sometimes feel like a wrestle. But God is more than who we think he is. And he's a God who invites us to wrestle with him. And I love that because it's such an intimate picture, isn't it, of wrestling, like skin to skin, sweat to sweat. Um, 
but also it's biblical and it's in the Bible, it's in Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestled with God. So I'm just going to read that out from Genesis 32. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why have you asked my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. When you wrestle with God, you'll always get a blessing, but the blessing, like in the case of Jacob, might look like a wound. The blessing might look like God exposing something or bringing the blessing of a place of vulnerability. When we wrestle with God, we get a new name, like Jacob, and we discover who we were always made to be. When Jacob was born, they called him Jacob because he literally grasped the heel of his twin brother as he was formed and learned his Hebrew idiom for deceiver. And if you read the story of Jacob, he actually really lived into and up to his name. He was just known as a manipulator and as a deceiver. He tried to deceive and manipulate his way into gaining earthly blessing. But when he wrestled with God, God says, your name will no longer be Jacob, no longer the deceiver, but Israel. And he went on to become the father of the nation, which ultimately was from where Jesus descended. Before we encounter, or in the language of the story, wrestle with God, we may have these ideas of what success and progress and blessing looks like. In the chapter just before the one we just read, it says that Jacob sent gifts ahead of him to his brother Esau, the one who had deceived, who was hiding from, who was just afraid of meeting. He tried to make up for what he'd done and to make peace by sending over a whole load of cows, camels, and donkeys. And sometimes I think we do that, not literally with cows and donkeys, but um, metaphorically, we like to send gifts out into the world. We think that a public display of something impressive will do the job for us and will get to where we need to go. But God invites us into the wrestle with him, into this intimate encounter with him. And he says that it's in that place we'll find out who we really are, what our identity is. Our identity that isn't defined by what we've done, what we're not, or what we've tried to be in the past, but the one that is God-ordained, that's spacious enough to include our past and our flaws. One where we constantly don't need to deceive others or manipulate situations to our best advantage to make ourselves look good, but one that allows the Spirit of God to lead us down our own unique path. A few years ago, when I found myself in the thick of one of these wrestling periods with God, a friend actually sent me the story of Jacob, and as I read it, it helped me give language and also hope for the situation that I was in, that the wrestle was a good thing, in fact, a gift to help me discover and unearth more about myself and more about the character and goodness of God, even if in the moment it didn't feel like it. I found myself in a job from the outset that looked like it should have been the dream, but under the surface was really struggling. I spent a lot of my life 
constant love in my life, caring far too much about the opinions and the approvals of others almost more than anything else, which can often leave me feeling paralyzed and just quite lost in life. On the surface, I, I know I can be known as quite a calm, relaxed, or chilled person. But particularly at that time, under the surface, I was seriously struggling with um, just quite heightened anxiety and struggled to sleep and couldn't really eat properly. And I just thought that was something that I needed to power through. I often felt a sense of disconnected from the person I projected or appeared to be, and then the person I was inside and the emotions that I was actually feeling. Um, and at that time, it just felt like a struggle to engage with those things that I was feeling inside of me. Not helped by the fact that I spent probably a lot of my young years actively trying to suppress my emotions. <laughs> it felt like a wrestle to actually engage practically in the difficult conversations with people I was working with, with myself internally, but also with God, to name how I was feeling and to admit my frailty in it all. It felt hard, but I knew that God was working in me through it and was teaching me what it looked like to break out of fearing what others might think or assume about me. If I'm being honest, I'm definitely still learning, still wrestling with all this stuff. Don't think that I'll ever be sorted or in a box that I can just take and move on from. It can feel really hard, but I know that ultimately, working through this stuff is a gift, that I would be able to live free from those things. And I think it's similar in the story of Jacob too. The wound that Jacob had from the wrestle is not a curse. It's not the harshness or the unkindness of God. It's part of who Jacob was. And if the story of Jacob doesn't convince you, we can look at Jesus himself, the Son of God, fully divine, fully human, wounded. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he met his disciples and said to Thomas, put your fingers here, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus invites him to touch his wounds, their real wounds. And if Jesus is not afraid or ashamed of his wounds, I feel like we probably shouldn't be either. So you may be sitting here thinking, great, but so what? What does this mean for me? And it's a very good question to ask. I probably don't have a very good answer for you, but I think that's because this is such an intimate thing for each of us to discover with time with God. Um, but what I do think it definitely means for all of us as children and as the people of God is that no matter how small or insignificant you may feel, God has a plan to use you. It means that he isn't put off by our brokenness or even our emptiness, because actually empty vessels are ones that he can fill with his presence and with his glory. I love this quote by a Scottish theologian, Oswald Chambers, who writes this. He says, complete weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the spirit of God to manifest his power. The goodness of God is so much more than we think or imagine. There's totally an element of mystery to all of this as well, that somehow God uses the weak, the broken, and the foolish things of the world. But I so believe it to be true. So I guess my invitation, as I humbly do that, uh, my invitation to you today is just to open yourselves up to the Lord. Let him see you for who you really are, fully safe and fully confident in the truth that you're never too far gone, you're never too weak, and you're never too broken to be welcomed to be loved and to be used in the kingdom of God. Shall we stand and, and pray and invite the throne of God to come up? I actually really felt um, when Phil and Ellie were leading worship and sang that majesty of rain, I just felt like um, 
Yeah, that's all from the Lord, and, and it's the kindness of God and the goodness of God, isn't it? That He somehow weaves that thing, those things together when we might have spoken about it. But just that line, um, empty hands, but a line in your hands, and just yeah, I actually feel like I've spoken a lot about brokenness and um, fragility, but I just wonder whether it's an emptiness in the room where you just feel like empty. <laughs> and um, I think I think the word that I found in it all is just the word of hope. That um, that's that's okay to feel empty. He's going to fill you. Um, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." And it's and it's a hunger, not a togetherness, that the Lord requires. So, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit now to come and fill us. Where there's frailty, where there's fragility, where there's emptiness, Lord God, we just invite your Spirit to come, Lord Jesus. We welcome your presence, Lord. Welcome your presence.